Hi everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It's my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. So uh, with no further ado, I am extremely excited and very, very grateful to Administrator Pekoski to join us today and give us sort of the, the closeout keynote. We had the luxury of John Pistol, his predecessor, kicking us off. And David, you're going to take us home. Thank you so much. And thank you for what you do. I know you've had many, many years in service with Coast Guard and uh, DHS in different roles. And now finally at the TSA. Thank you for that. Okay, thanks, Derek. I appreciate the intro and um, glad you had John to, to lead you off. I mean, for, for your audience, uh, John Pistol, when he was TSA administrator, he created the, the pre-check program, which uh, I'm going to guess many of you um, participate in. Huge benefit to travelers that represent lower risk compared to uh, other travelers overall. Um, but I'm sure, as John mentioned to you when, when he led off, that um, a surprise to many people in the country is that TSA um, does security for uh, things beyond the aviation system. And even the aviation system, if you think about, I think what most people will associate us with would be the, the passenger screening process that we conduct. Not so much the federal air marshals that we have in flight, the um, the screening we do of check baggage, and uh, also the work we do on air cargo security. Air cargo is handled uh, sometimes in a very different way um, than, than cargo on a passenger uh, aircraft. Um, additionally, you know, we have in our remit of authorities, and kind of you got to kind of remember back to 2001 history, if you can, that uh, TSA was created in the Department of Transportation. So essentially what happened uh, right after 9-11 is um, the administration at the time, the Bush administration, knew they wanted to create an agency to be able to ensure that attacks on our transportation system, um, not necessarily just like 9-11, but a, a terrorist attack on our transportation system didn't happen again. So what they did in the Department of Transportation is they looked across all of what are called the modes. Um, so a mode would be rail, a mode would be aviation. Um, it would also be pipelines. And they said, hey, let's just take all the modes, look at the security responsibilities that they currently have and that what we think they should have given 9-11. And let's create a new agency and just move all that responsibility uh, over to this new agency. So, um, you know, particularly um, now, given that it takes us quite a long time to pass uh, legislation or to, or to go through a rulemaking process. Uh, back then, you, you, you know, you're trying to ensure that a crisis that uh, impacted and, and directly killed in one day, uh, 2,977 people, that um, that doesn't happen again. And you, and you want to quickly, quickly stand up the ability to prevent it from occurring. So Congress passed a law that established us in 69 days. So 69 days from 9-11 in November, uh, law was passed. And the next day, the president signed that legislation at uh, Reagan Airport here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, and what that does is it gives us um, pretty extensive authorities um, to be able to act quickly and to be able to act decisively if we anticipate a threat materializing to the transportation system overall, whether it's uh, an airport, an airline, a, a pipeline system, a rail system, a mass transit system, uh, all those things are, are covered uh, by our authorities. And the reason I give you that prelude is because it's kind of important to understand 
what we have done recently with respect to cybersecurity, because the authorities we have is just to ensure the systems are secure. It doesn't prescribe that it's only for physical security. Um, and so what we did uh, over the past um, uh, two years, uh, and I think when people think about this five years from now, um, it's going to be pretty remarkable uh, what not just we as an agency, but what the um, owners and operators of critical systems uh, within the transportation sector have done uh, over the past two-year period of time to make sure that two things happen, um, that their their transportation system, again, whether it's an airport, an airline, a pipeline, or, or a rail system, that their transportation system is, um, is as secure as they can make it against a cyber attack. In other words, they do whatever we can do to uh, protect the systems from attack, make them a much less attractive target and uh, and make them much more hard to be successful uh, in in uh, executing an attack. But the second piece and, and the part that I think sometimes is is not um, fully considered in uh, the approach that TSA has taken and the approach that other agencies that have existing authority have already taken or if they don't have the existing authority once they get it will take. And that's to ensure that the critical infrastructure that we're endeavoring to protect also becomes more resilient. Um, what, what I mean by that is the ability to continue to provide the services that the public relies on uh, or that our military relies on in a quick way after a success of, after an, an attack, if the attack is successful. And you have to assume that um, that a series of attacks, um, you know, you, you have to plan to the fact um, that uh, they will be successful um, to some degree potentially, because you have to have a plan uh, if that's the case for how to respond. And so we've, we've been working uh, first with the pipeline sector uh, and then with the rail sector and now with the aviation sector to build up those cybersecurity protections and to um, help build the cybersecurity resilience um, so that you know an attack is successful, its physical manifestation uh, is uh, brought under control rather quickly and the services are able to resume to the public that depends on them or the other entities that depend on them. So what we what we have done really mostly for the past year plus is um, approach this from a performance based perspective, which in the federal government is is not a common approach. It's it's a relatively new approach. It's one that makes uh, uh, to me uh, particularly for cyber uh, an awful lot of sense. And basically what that stands for is rather than a regulatory agency like us going out and 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 saying to a, a pipeline company or to an to an airport. Hey, you have to do these certain activities. They need to be done by this particular date, and you need to continue to, to perform those activities uh, until we relax the requirement. Um, that's kind of the old way, uh, in many cases, of regulating: is you just put out a specific level, you know, specific number of activities that need to be performed. You you inspect against uh, what you observe and what's been recorded as far as how well the owner or operator is is performing those activities. In cyber, in our experience, and certainly in the industry's perspective, and 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 the feedback we received from them was, hey, that's really that's not a good model to use. Let's let's go to more of a performance-based model. And so essentially, what we did was we pivoted um, from our initial uh, requirements uh, within a year to a performance-based framework, wherein we said to the owners and operators, hey, here are four key outcomes that you need to achieve. You come back to us within a certain period of time and you tell us within your business model and within the technology that you either have currently employed or will employ given the, the changing threat dynamic, how you're going to 
achieve the outcomes that we've established. For example, one of the outcomes uh, was how do you achieve network segmentation? Another one would be how do you achieve access control over your critical cybersecurity position, uh, put, um, uh, systems? Or another one would be um, how do you ensure that you patch your systems in a prioritized way? Because if you look at some of these um, major pieces of critical infrastructure in the country, there are literally thousands of uh, patches that that um, tend to be implemented. And, you, and it's not reasonable to say implement every patch within 30 days of receipt. It's just not uh, either physically um, possible or does it make a lot of sense because you would be taking that activity uh, away from something else. And so those were three of the outcomes. The, um, the other outcome uh, was um, to ensure that you had a process where you can continuously monitor uh, your performance. Um, so what, we, what happened was these, these owners and operators put together those cybersecurity implementation plans, sent them to us for review, and then we reviewed them along with um, the FBI, along with the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, along with the Department of Transportation mode that had responsibility for the safety side uh, for these companies. So in the, um, in the case of rail systems, for example, it would be the Federal Railway Administration or in aviation would be the Federal Aviation Administration. And in, in the case of pipes, it would be the um, Pipeline and Hazardous Material Safety Administration and the Department of Energy. So we kind of worked all together as a federal family, um, reviewed those plans, made some adjustments to them, went back to the owners and operators, um, uh, had them make some adjustments to them, and then finally approved them. Um, the stage we're in now is to assess objectively how well uh, each one of these owners and operators are doing in, in kind of two dimensions. The first dimension would be how well are you executing your own plan that we approved? In other words, that's that's the, that's a, a sort of like a traditional regulatory approach where you look at um, activities and then you uh, assess how well the activities are being performed. But the nuance is that it's not a cookie cutter set of activities. It's a set of activities that the company proposed um, that we, the federal government, approved. Um, the second part, and, and a really, really important part as well, is how do you assess um, how well the outcome is being achieved? Um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we can, we can certify that all the activities that are in the plan are being uh, performed and they're being performed satisfactorily. But that doesn't really answer the question of, um, well, okay, well, one of the outcomes was ensure network segmentation. How do we assess that they're assuring network segmentation? Uh, so we're at that phase now with pipelines, we'll be soon with rail systems, and then after that with uh, airlines and airports to really go back and do some of the hard intellectual work um, that's involved in, in really determining levels of outcome achievement and the, um, the, the, the level of um, outcome achievement that we think we need uh, given the threat that we face. A couple of things that are important to understand with this. One is that, um, one, from an adversarial perspective, you're not giving an adversary sort of a, a one-size-fits-all um, set of requirements that once they had that set of requirements, they would know exactly what every single owner and operator within your system was doing. So it would make the attack surface a little bit more attractive to them uh, if, if they had that, that master key, if you will. In, in the system we have now, each individual company has a different set of activities they perform. It's really based on their business model. Uh, it's based on the threats that they uh, they see that they're facing uh, as it fits in with the national um, threat level. So one, it makes it harder for an adversary. Secondly, cyber is 
going to change very rapidly uh, over the course of the next several years. And so we wanted to make sure that we future-proofed the regulations that we put out and, and that the companies had the flexibility if they saw a better way that might technologically not be feasible now um, to um, provide for network segmentation, that they had the option of, of uh, you know, adopting a different technology and kind of growing as a technology group. Um, the third is, you know, the adversary's capabilities are going to change. Uh, adversary behavior may, might become better known and better understood, and, uh, and that would factor into the activities you perform as well. Um, additionally, this, this particular model allows us, and we've done this already, uh, primarily with pipelines and, and rail, soon to be uh, with aviation because, you know, they came uh, out in different times, so we have more time working uh, with the pipeline sector than the others, is um, hey, looking at, at at what other companies have done, here are some uh, what we would we would term best practices or common approaches for other companies to consider. And we don't identify uh, or attribute who's doing what, but we do say, hey, we've seen these particular practices. For example, um, in ensuring access control, now, obviously multi-factor authentication is going to be uh, one method that uh, many use uh, and and pretty common across. Uh, the sector and, and just say, hey, but in addition to multi-factor authentication, we've seen these other methods being used or these other activities being implemented to ensure that there's access control of systems. So it's been a good way, good two-way uh, level of dialogue. Um, the other thing that uh, is important to kind of frame this is we decided collectively amongst the federal partners uh, and with a lot of, uh, of conversations with the industry as well, uh, it, we decided that we weren't going to regulate every single owner and operator. And, and the reason is that in the pipeline sector, for example, there's over 3,000 pipelines in the United States. We don't have the capacity um, to inspect um, and to monitor the performance of 3,000 companies at startup, given our current staffing levels. Additionally, you know, we, really, we really wanted to look at which particular owners and operators were systemically critical to the smooth operating of that entire uh, system. So we um, chose to regulate a much smaller set than the overall 3,000. Um, you know, for example, four pipelines were under 100 companies, which uh, makes sense to, to us, makes sense to the industry, because um, you know, we're focusing on the ones that if they go down, then large swaths of, of, the, uh, of, of, of the American uh, consumer will be affected by that. The other thing that we required was um, to do some reporting so that uh, we have a good sense of what kinds of things are going on in the cybersecurity world that uh, uh, affect the um, smooth operation of critical cyber systems. And we share that reporting commonly across the federal government partners. So we're all seeing the same information uh, at the same time. We also required um, uh, tabletop exercises to be done. Again, it gets to that resiliency piece. So a, a cyber attack in, in many, many, many cases is going to result in a physical manifestation of some sort to ensure resiliency and to ensure public confidence. Um, let's test how, how a company uh, is going to respond. And we've done some, you know, individual company to federal government agency uh, tabletop exercises that have been really very informative for both of us. Um, what the owners and operators of the system saw was that um, the federal government partners are all kind of at the same table and they're talking to each other. And that's very reassuring to them. Um, and, and secondly, um, that, hey, there's different ways that you're going to get information on an attacking process. Uh, many ways nowadays are going to involve any one of the social media platforms that are out there. That's oftentimes going to be your first alert that something's going on. And how do we how do we get in front of the issue? 
with the public and and uh, and reassure the public that when we know what's going on and the we is the owners and operators of the system that's being impacted and the federal government agencies and the state agencies that have uh, responsibility for those systems from a safety and security perspective and so how do we get in front of the media early try establish public confidence that we are all working together and we have a uh, a plan in place that we're going to use and we're going to execute on to um, uh, to get these systems back up and operating as quickly as we can and try to be as transparent as we can uh, with the public as well so that people don't assume things that are not uh, based largely in fact. So that's kind of where we've been um, uh, with cybersecurity. Like I said, really critical phase, kind of in my in my view, one of the most exciting phases of what we're doing now is to, to try to prove the level of outcome achievement. Um, and it can't be, hey, just because you did these 15 different activities for um, access control that you now have achieved the outcome. It's going to be through uh, some testing, through some exercises to see, hey, if you've achieved the outcome, but you you can't recover quickly. I and mean, that's that's going to have um, an impact on our overall assessment uh, as well. The, um, the last thing I, I say before I open it up to questions from all of you, because I want to leave you know, 10 or 15 minutes for you to ask me questions is um, I would give an enormous amount of credit to the owners and operators of these systems in, in two dimensions. One is that um, they have been great partners with us and partner in a, in a really positive way. Um, and when I say partner, I don't mean that we're diffusing responsibility um, for actions. What I mean is that we have good communications, we have good understanding, we have uh, relationships where uh, we trust each other in things that we say and things that we do. And the um, the other dimension is you know, our, our ability to communicate to the public consistently what's going on has been greatly enhanced. I mean, you don't see uh, a uh, gas pipeline owner operator now saying in a public venue, you know, I get no support out of the U.S. federal government or I completely disagree with what the U.S. federal government or my state governments are doing um, to help us make sure that our systems are protected and that we can respond uh, if we're successfully attacked. So you know, I think we've, we've achieved a, a decent level of success uh, over a relatively short period of time, but it kind of goes back to where I started is that you know, we had the advantage in TSA of having uh, existing legal authority for doing the things that we did. And we also had existing relationships uh, with these companies. So it wasn't us knocking at the door for the first time ever. Um, you know, we, but the relationships now are uh, much more robust because we've literally been in the trenches together to try to make sure that these systems are uh, are as cyber secure as we can make them. Um, so with that, let me uh, let me pause and I'll open it up to uh, to any questions or any comments anybody would like to make. Okay, uh, awesome. Thank you, sir. Um, let me see. We do have some questions coming in. I mean, the first one or one that I picked out of the list uh, is about AI. You know, it's it's the buzzword of the day, obviously, but it's more than a buzzword. There's a lot of transformational things uh, that are happening and are going to happen. So this question specifically was. Is the TSA doing anything to prepare for social engineering techniques, phishing, smishing, phishing, afforded or made easier and cheaper by AI? Yeah, of, co of course we are. And um, and we're doing it um, independently to a degree, but also with the entire Department of Homeland Security and really the entire executive branch. Um, a lot of partnership with Congress. There's been a ton of work done on this. In addition to what was um, posed in the question, you know, we use artificial intelligence in some of our own security solutions. Um, and so, you know, making sure that um, we are fully aware at the very senior levels. You know, what, what are we relying on and, and how, how were things built and how are we assessing as 
as some of these algorithm, algorithms learn, uh, how are we assuring ourselves that they're learning uh, in the right manner? Um, and additionally, how are we making sure, hey, as an organization that regulates cybersecurity within the transportation sector, we need to set the example and make sure that we don't become a victim successful of a cyber attack, or if so, that we are able to mitigate it uh, rather quickly. And you know, we've got some very sensitive systems, as, as you can imagine, and, uh, and we will have uh, people inspect us and we will have some incidents where we know we need to make some improvements. But um, it's important that we uh, make those improvements as quickly as we can and we be reasonably transparent with the solution process. Uh, one of the curves, I mean, I don't think you want to advertise to an adversary where you have all your vulnerabilities, but w- what you do want to want to convey to them is that, hey, I'm checking my system all the time and I'm working in a zero trust environment increasingly. Um, and, uh, you know, our systems are, are we're, we're basically practicing what we preach. Um, and the, the other thing, too, that, you know, is something that I think about a lot. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not um, trained in uh, computer science uh, as uh, from an academic background. And uh, but I, I but I've worked um, with cyber issues for a good number of years. And you know, one of the things that that we saw initially was that um, when you approached, uh, you know, either a senior government colleague, um, you know, a member of the senior executive service or, or a political appointee uh, running an agency like me, or you approached some senior people in state government or in companies, oftentimes that CEO level person or that director level person would defer discussion on all cyber issues to their CIO or their CISO. Uh, it's basically, hey, this is not something that, you know, you're talking to the wrong person essentially is what some people would say. You need to talk to um, so-and-so. But really, uh, you know, the, the time is long past that um, senior executives can afford to do that. I mean, you've got to know, you know, if you're running an agency like this, I know all about how we do screening operations, both passenger and cargo. Um, I know all about how we're doing um, uh, physical security work with everybody in the in the transportation sector. I need to also be conversant in what we're doing to protect our systems from uh, from a cyber attack and to make the work that we do uh, in this agency, which is very sensitive, as cyber secure as we as we can make it. I, I'm just as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the disparate systems. Um, you know, we had the the panel we did as part of the series on just on aviation. You know, we touched on all these different verticals, but just on aviation, they talked about how many different third parties and all the systems and all the interrelations have to do just with the modern airport, which is like a small city. It's yeah. it's a lot, and, and and I think there's a number mm-hmm. of questions coming in about segmentation. That comes up in all our surveys everywhere, obviously, net, you know, segmenting out and de-risking all your network, maybe only portions of it. But it's easier said than done, especially in some environments. So people are curious about that. You know, what is the process for for assigning, uh, for assessing implementation of network segmentation? Could there be fines for people who don't, you know, who don't do it? Is there overly concerns about negatively impacting operations by doing segmentation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cer- certainly in, in any regulatory regime, you know, there are a couple of of key items that really you know compel com- people to comply. One is uh, we all have the ability to assess fines, and the fines can be very progressive, and they can they can occur rather quickly if there's a critical flaw that is just not being addressed in a way that we think is a responsible way to address it. Uh, and that wouldn't be necessarily an independent decision that TSA would make. We would make it with the FBI, we'd make it with CISA, we'd make it with our safety partners as well, because a lot of things that you do on the security side. Uh, have a safety impact and vice versa. So you need to make sure that 
that you're making the right choices, but you need to act um, quickly. The other thing is that many of these are publicly traded companies. They will have um, disclosures they need to make to the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission uh, on actions that we might be taking with respect to their um, their viability at, to to provide their services in a uh, in a cybersecure manner. So there's a lot uh, there. Plus, um, hey, this we have you know, we're public agencies. Um, uh, we we have the ability to I'm not not publicly shame a company uh, necessarily. That would be very rare, uh, but it would be to uh, you know use the public podium that we have to highlight where there are vulnerabilities and uh, and and really uh, you know try to put um, some public pressure on uh, companies in a, in a particular sector to make sure that they've provided for and they've uh, they've been responsive to some of those needs. And you know, the other thing for the United States, uh, unique I think amongst um, other nations in the world is we have you know the best intelligence system uh, in the world. Uh, and and so we're going to have a good level of of uh, warning in many cases, but not all. You can't depend on it. And you know, one of the things that we did very early on, and we've continued to do this over the course of the last two years, is we provided high-level security access to uh, owners and operators of these systems. You know, after they, of course, go through a background check and everything else that's that's uh, you would expect us to do, um, but really let them see some very highly sensitive classified information so that they can better understand. You know, it's, it's one thing to understand an adversary's capability. That's only part of the equation. You also have to understand the adversary's intent uh, and some indicators that you might get of future adversary behavior. And you can get that when you when you share some very sensitive information. And really, it's important for us to do that because we're asking CEOs to make fairly significant resource reallocation decisions. Cybersecurity is a cost, not necessarily a profit center. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's only fair that um, where appropriate, we give them as much information as we possibly can so they can frame their their approach going forward. You know, this question of not just about TSA, but government regulations, its role, and there's those that are against it and those that are for it. But what I what I sense, and I mean, it's just, you, you know, if you confirm this, is it's your opinion or similar to yours. What I sense from people who are trying to look at the weighting and balancing of all this is it's got a pretty vital role to play. I mean, nobody really advocates for it. I wish the government would just come down on everybody. But they say some people won't take the reallocation steps, as you, you know, to use your term. They won't take it until they're, you know, I hate to say it, forced forced to do it. You know, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in the middle. Some regulations could be can be bad or the way they're implemented can be bad. Again, not saying specific mm-hmm. PSA, but we see other other verticals have had, you know, some regulatory pressures put on them within the cybersecurity area. And you see the sort of these, you know, compliance games and things like that that start to get spawned. But without the behavior, some people might not take the action at all. Yeah, but but hey, at the end of the day, you really want to incentivize good behavior, right? And and you also want to protect everybody else. So if, if you're running a pipeline and you're one of the critical operators, you likely rely on other critical operators as well um, to make sure that your service gets to the ultimate end customer. Um, and so there's um, definitely a, a hey, uh, we can't let one entity be so much of an outlier that it affects the rest of the system's performance. I, I, and I'll take it a step further is, um, hey, you know, we have 16 critical infrastructure sectors in the United States. One of the most challenging things to do is to look across all the sectors and say, hey, if you're in the transportation sector, what are you relying in all your plans for from an adjacent sector? And are you sure that they can provide it and you can't go 100% because nothing's 100% in this world? Uh, you have to say, hey, if if what I'm relying on from the, let's say, energy sector would be a good one, what, if what I'm relying for, for on the energy sector ends up not being available to me, what do I do? Uh, how do I respond to that? And so um, that's 
that's a big part of, of where we're all collectively going. And that's a central role for CISA. You know, as a, you know, it, when you when you break down CISA, you know, cybersecurity and infrastructure security agency, they're both big, big, big responsibilities. And CISA's key responsibility on on the infrastructure um, security side is to look at those cross sector um, dependencies that are there, identify them, um, and their their key role on the cyber side is to be a resource for um, private sector entities and government agencies. That are having a cyber problem that just want help and and or they or they're seeing certain things going on in their networks and i'm not sure whether that's a big problem or not um to be able to turn to to cisa and see if they can get some advice uh, and some guidelines um the other agency that's really important here is nist uh, the national institute for the standards of technology and uh, you know nist does exactly what the what the title describes and you know, given that cyber is going to be constantly changing, but hey, that's not to say that other areas of of, of security operations aren't constantly changing too. But cyber pro- probably more so, more more accelerated than than the others. Uh, but you know, to make sure we stay current and don't have to reissue a different regulation every time, is if you attach yourself to NIST frameworks for performance or NIST standards, as as we learn as a as a as a country, NIST updates those standards, which means that all the regulations update. Uh, at the same time, and it, and it is a common framework that people can use uh, going forward. CISA has cybersecurity planning guidelines, and they they are very consistent with what NIST provides. And the other entity to mention that I haven't um, that's very important in this is the the National Cyber Director and staff. Um, and, they, and you know, as you know, we have a national cyber strategy. If you read through that strategy, many of the things I talked about are things that we're executing on that strategy, but you know, we were executing on them before the strategy was put in place. Um, uh, not, not much before, but before it was fully put in place. And so we were a little bit of a, hey, how does this work? Can it work? Certainly in the transportation sector as an example. You have time for a couple more questions? Sure do, go ahead. Okay, uh, more have come in. I don't think we'll get to all these, but I'll try to pick some out. This is interesting okay. about auditors. Obviously there's some people who have experience with NERC, SIP and, and, and audit, auditing going on for many years there. Can you speak to a requirement for annual reassessment auditing by TSA auditors? And will they be looking for new TSA security directive versions are coming up like C and D? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and you know, part of you know, when, when owners and operators submit their plans, so, so hey, here's my plan for increasing um, the level of protection I'm providing uh, for my systems. And then, hey, is that level the right level? In other words, um, you know, what level of outcome achievement am I achieving? We approve those plans. The other part is that the company has to submit an assessment program um, and we approve that assessment program. And then we require them to assess um, a certain percentage every single year. So we have a, a fairly tight cycle where we'll see everything uh, reassessed. That's really important to be able to get a, a good sense. If you see that, you know, if we if we become aware either from company reporting or from uh, intelligence information that, hey, there's a particular attack vector that's uh, now becoming uh, a likely attack vector to a piece of critical infrastructure in the country. We can get a very quick assessment with those assessment plans as to how ready the rail sector is, for example, in being able to protect uh, themselves from that particular threat or if if attacked, you know, the resiliency piece. But the resiliency piece kind of applies uh, more across the board. But it's just it's just a super good tool. Um, to give you a quick assessment of, hey, what do I need to do immediate quick work? Other thing that's related to this I should mention is, you know, it's, it's taken some time to develop the level of protection we currently have in the transportation sector. You can't just 
wish this happens overnight, and then all of a sudden it's in place. Um, we don't have a lot of time um, because we've got nation state actors that are, um, are, are very concerning to us. And we need to make sure that um, we do everything we can in a very, very short time window um, to be able to make sure that our systems are better protected, that we get very quick notification if something is starting to, uh, to occur, and that we have those plans that I talked about for getting services back up and running well tested in that event. So, um, you know, it, it, it takes a number of years to get things uh, in place to a level that you're going to say, okay, there's there's a noticeable difference here now, and time is not on our side in that regard. Yeah, you're under the same constraints of any software project I've ever been involved in. I remember 25 years ago, my first software project, somebody said, you can have it better, faster, or cheaper. You can't have all three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah. So you sort of touched on this already. It's sort of like punitive is not as good as, you know, uh, something more positive, right? And this question was about interfacing with CISA and talking about Jen Easterly's sort of transformation initiatives, redirecting government private relations into collaboration rather than a confrontational dynamic. Right. You know, is that is that sort of what's your view on that? Is that something that TSA is in line with? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, th- I think there's, um, you know, first off, CISA has been an incredible partner with us. And, you know, CISA has um, expertise that we don't have. We have expertise that CISA doesn't have. I mean, we're more more in the weeds in expertise in the transportation sector, as is any other sector risk management agency. And so I think there's a really good dynamic setting up and and uh, operating to support basically the smooth functioning of critical infrastructure in, in the country. And CISA does provide that, uh, it's called um, J, um, JCDC, uh, Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, where uh, companies can uh, raise concerns and you know they're, they're they don't have to worry so much about raising it to a regulator sometimes because they just don't know enough at that point um, but what we're trying to work our way through is at what point does the regulatory agency need to get involved and and you know I, I think this is also a cultural thing to a degree on the part of the regulators uh, is hey what what kind of what kind of relationship do you have? with the entities that you regulate. I mean, oftentimes people think of it as uh, adversarial and it doesn't need to be and uh, and shouldn't be really, right? There should be, you know, the the, um, the regulated parties have a, a definite interest in making sure that there's a level playing field out there and that their business performance is not affected by the poor performance of a business they rely on. It's not not investing, doesn't have the cost that they have just to make sure that things are, are fair across uh, across the economy to the extent you can do that. Um, and so finding a way to have a relationship as a regulator with your regulated parties that, you know, uh, there are going to be times when you're assessing a fine. That's not necessarily something that a company jumps up and down and says, thank you for, right? But I'll speak for for TSA. We don't assess a fine until we're sure that you're just basically ignoring what we want to do. I mean, we really try to work uh, with the owners and operators of the systems that we oversee. The other thing, too, is that um, I'll take um, pipelines, for example. Um, you know, I think it's really important that if you're the regulator, you need to understand, not not in super great detail because you just can't, but you need to understand at a basic level how this system works and uh, and, and what are the, uh, are the concerns of the operators in the system. One of the only ways you're going to be able to get that is to get out in the field and actually see how things are running. Um, you know, I spend a good amount of time uh, with uh, oil and gas pipeline companies um, in different parts of the country, just going and visit and spend a day and saying, hey, kind of walk me through how your business operates, you know, how 
how a well operates, how the, uh, the compressors operates, the refining uh, end of it to, to clean up the gas, um, the transmission piece, just so that as the regulator, you're, you know, when, when they see you do things, they know that you have a certain at least basic understanding of the operating environment that they're trying to uh, to work in. And really importantly, that uh, and I feel that we've achieved this uh, in the companies that we regulate because I've ensured that, hey, if the CEO of the company wants to call me on something, here's my here's my cell number. Um, give me a call um, because you know I, I think it's important. I'm I'm being paid um, by the taxpayer to do my job, and I think that they they ought to be able to, uh, with a significant concern, reach directly out to me and say, hey, I'm, I'm really concerned about this. I I I need you guys to either do this or do that, and we'll have that conversation. But rather than than uh, and just be at loggerheads, and I and I don't think we're at that stage at all with with any of the you know the hundreds and hundreds of companies that we regulate. I love your your uh, sort of I'm paraphrasing it. The stick is in the bag. We don't really want to take it out. If we have to, okay, we will. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, there's a whole bunch of other things we could be doing here. Right, right, yeah, and 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 really to to a degree, you know, the other thing to think about is. Um, Oftentimes, I'll be asked a question about, um, and, and these are mostly uh, on the aviation side, but uh, just given the size of our aviation system, um, from another government partner, hey, how, how do you think this um, would operate? You know, if, if we did X, how would, it, how would it be operationalized within that industry sector? And you know, I, th- I think to, to be a, you know, you have to have a dual role. You have to be an advocate for the industry that you regulate. And you have to be um, a, a person who ensures that at the end of the day that, that there's compliance uh, with the baseline uh, requirements they have in place. You can't do just solely one or the other. And uh, and and there are, are a good number of conversations where hey, it's very, still very formative, but it's just an initial gut. Hey, how would how does this work in this industry? Uh, and so you want to be knowledgeable to to the point that you're given good advice, but also know your limitations too, right? And just say hey. From what I know, this is this is all I can really offer to you, but I can find out more if you want me to get uh, more detailed information. But sometimes it's just a real quick, hey, we're thinking about something, just give us a give us a read on it. Yeah, makes that makes sense. Two questions, and there's a bunch we're not going to get to, but I have two. Maybe right. I've selected out. One's about insider threats. So we do an annual survey, and the winner, the threat actors, you know, mm-hmm. uh, nation states were down here, um, hacktivists were down here, all real, you know, percentage required, but the threat, the insider threat was huge. It was the winner. Um, what do you guys feel about that? Um, you obviously have so many people inside your your department, but then, like you keep pointing out, all these lines to people outside the department, but mm-hmm. they have direct lines into things. Where do you guys rank in insider threat? Oh, it's 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 really high, um, and it's not just high, but it's getting more concerning. Yeah, you know, we do a number of things. I mean, you can do you can do insider threat mitigation just based on information. Right. And, and you, you know, you don't have to do any anything physical with a person like screening, for example, in some cases. But in some cases, and, and TSA uses this a lot in our entire system, is the expectation of being screened is oftentimes a sufficient enough deterrent that you will deter a good portion of the behavior that you're concerned about. And so, you know, we use random screening protocols uh, in airports, um, for example, uh, in cargo screening facilities, for example, um, specifically directed at the insider threat. Um, the other piece of this is um, to make sure that uh, it's kind of an interesting um, challenge to make sure that 
your um, your alert to the indicators that you may have an insider threat issue developing. I mean, the threat is always there, but is it developing in, in a company? Um, the other part of this is some of the best information you're going to get on insiders are from insiders. And so you really have to create the framework where um, a coworker, if they're seeing something that just doesn't sit right with them, that they they feel that they can come to any organization that has oversight, like uh, you know a police officer, um, a security organization in an airport, us, Customs and Border Protection in an airport, and just report something that concerns them, and know that we're going to handle the information uh, responsibly. Which means two things: one is that we don't say so and so told us, um, and and secondly that uh, we do take action, uh, but we may not always tell them what action it is we take because it might not be appropriate. But, but I think I think there's more work to be done in that dimension is and, and that's why I keep emphasizing partnerships. And I and you know, sometimes people think that, hey, you know, this is la la land. You know, everything can't be uh, through partnerships. Yeah, I understand that fully. But you can also achieve a ton uh, that way. And you should give that uh, an opportunity to um, to work. And that would be partnerships with the uh, with the co with colleagues, coworkers, and in the case of aviation uh, with the public. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the pronunciation of our, our acronym is CSA. And we joke mm -hmm. about CSA, see something, say something. So I yeah. thought about this, you're talking about, you know, obviously yeah. we didn't make that up, but people have assigned that to us, uh, you know, mm -hmm. so never, yeah. we remember our name. But so last but not least, the workforce, you know, our whole purpose, workforce development, mm -hmm. it's, it's, we don't have enough cybersecurity people in general. So when you start talking about operating technology and cybersecurity excellence, it's, you know, it's, it's even more, uh, more of a problem. Is, is, TSA involved in anything about helping sort of the entry, getting more people into cybersecurity? You know, it's obviously at all hands on deck. One one department, and I'm in my view, government also can't be totally responsible for this. But we've got a, you know, we have a huge shortfall of people who know what to do. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, it's kind of interesting. You have a huge shortfall of people that know what to do, but probably not a huge shortfall of people who want to know what to do. Um, right? And it, because a lot of folks look at anybody who has cyber expertise is uh, probably employable without question for the for the foreseeable future, right. and can command a higher level of compensation because the skill sets are still fairly rare. Uh, I'll give you an example of something that, that we did. Um, we went down to DefCon, uh, first time I've attended DefCon ever. Uh, went down to DefCon. We also had a booth at DefCon, um, and and the and the thought was, hey, you know, we we really want to understand what hackers know. Um, and, and kind of bring them into the fold, if you will, to help us out to provide um, for overall cybersecurity and really to point us in some directions of, hey, if I was to hack uh, an airport system, these are the systems that I know are the most vulnerable. And let me show you how easy it is to get inside uh, one of these systems. And so we went there. Jen easily went with me. The secretary went down there as well. We both had this message of, hey, we want to tap into your talent. You can contribute to, the, to our national security. Um, and we also want to want to have you help us with recruiting. Um, so we opened the booth at, at DEF CON. We got, I believe it was 1,600 resumes um, that came in after um, we left because you know, we said, hey, listen, you've got to be able to qualify for a federal security clearance. Here are the basic criteria for qualification. And, you know, if you're still interested, give us your resume and, and we'll process it. It, it, it is it, we got more return from that one event than we, we have from any other. Um, so uh, in, in a way, you just have to ask, right? You just have to say, hey, you're, you're, you, you all know a lot more about this than we, we do. 
join the team, help us do it. The other thing that um, Sister's doing and, and we're doing is recognizing that people with cyber expertise might be interested in coming into the government to work, but not, might not want to work in the government for a career, uh, right? Because, that, you know, a practical matter is, hey, I don't mind coming in and working two, three years at, you know, 200K a year, but I can make four or 500K in the private sector. Um, I don't want to forego that opportunity in the long term either. And so we're, we're, we've established a system where people can come in, work in the government, um, kind of with the expectation on our side that they will leave after not a long time, you know, not, you know, five years. They'll, they'll probably leave after two or three, um, go back into the private sector. But one of the things that we say is that, hey, we actually encourage that, right? Um, because we're trying to build networks. We're trying to build continued advancement in expertise. Um, when you're sitting on in, the, in a private sector company, you're going to have a different perspective than when you're sitting in the government. But the two should be, you know, there's, there's having, having more sharing of that perspective uh, would be incredibly valuable. And, and, and the reverse is, if you're working in a private sector company, you come in and work inside a government agency, you have a, a good view of how it works. And, and when you're having a relationship with a government agency, what, what elements build a good relationship, right? Um, and you also build a network. So, um, you know, we think that it's very viable for cyber experts to come in, work in the federal government, a couple, three years, or longer if they want to, but let's, let's say a couple, three, go back out, work in the private sector, and then come back into the higher level uh, into, the, into the federal government. Um, the other thing that we chose to do intentionally was we, um, we chose not to chase salaries um, because we knew we, couldn't, we weren't going to ultimately be successful in that. And, and in a lot of ways, we wanted people to come into the government because they want to serve and they wanted to get a different perspective, not that they want to be financially rewarded way above what other government employees are being, uh, being compensated at. So we do pay them a little bit more, but it's not anywhere near, uh, in many cases, what they're going to get in the private sector. But I would, I would think that, hey, uh, um, somebody that has worked in, you know, let's say you, um, you work in the, in the rail sector, you spend a couple of years in TSA, you're going to be more competitive, I would suggest, uh, in the rail sector because of that experience, because you have instant reach back. I mean, you, you know, you know, hundreds of people inside the agency that you can bounce things off of informally and you kind of know the process. So you can inform your private sector company, hey, this is how they think and this is the process that they're going to have to go through. So, you know, don't be surprised when they come back and say this to you. I love that. I, I've, um, I'm i approaching about 100 episodes of my podcast interviewing people about their biographies. Mm -hmm. And you just talked about injecting something into someone's professional journey that opens new forks and new opportunities yep. in the future. It doesn't have to be forever doesn't have to be career. I also hear you saying things, and I think about my time in the military, there's a mission. And you can't find that in the civilian sector uh, right. very often, if at all. There's a mission, something important, something bigger than me, something right. important for our society. So that seems mm -hmm. to be a, a, an edge or a thing that can be offered by that sort of thing, too, to offset, obviously, the right. salary differentials. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the other part of it is that you have the opportunity to make national impact, Yeah. right? Um, and, and that's that's not uh, an overstatement. I mean, you know, the, the, the folks that wrote our cyber um, directives had national impact. Um, and um, that, that's that's pretty inspiring um, that, and, and humbling when you get to do that, right? It's like, okay, I need to make, you know, be, make sure that I got this right because of the impact it's potentially going to have. Yeah, well, thank you, sir. Uh, thank, thank you for your time it, and for your many, many, many years of service to our country in, in, in various roles, wearing a lot of different hats and now ultimately uh, where you are with the TSA, uh, keeping, uh, keeping us safe. So thank you for all that. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it. Take care.